Thank you uh, very much, Graham, for that great introduction. Um, I'm going to spend uh, the next 20 minutes explaining to you why the Dutch Ministry of Infrastructure is really an interesting place to, to work. <laughs> On an October morning, three years ago, almost to today, I stepped inside, inside a red brick office building. It was a large government office building from the late 1940s, four-story and nothing to be worked up about. It was also a normal cloudy day, an October day almost just like today. Um, and I had been working in that same office building for five years before that time, so entering in that office building wasn't very special either. But still, that morning was going to be different from the countless mornings that had passed before. Without fully realizing it, and what would realize and what would happen after, that morning I was embarking upon a journey that would change me. It was my first day as a supervisor. And that job would change the way I look at myself, at the people around me, and at the world. And this morning I would like to tell you about that journey. But before I do that, I need to tell you a little bit about the years before that October day. Because five years before that day, I had just graduated from university. I went to journalism school. And I had entered university with dreams of becoming an excellent journalist. I wanted to offer truthful answers to problems of our times and write great stories, of course. But instead of offering those answers, something else happened. I got stuck in doubt. A journalist, of course, is supposed to work with doubt and to work with questions and with healthy suspicion of things that go around in the world. And that's good, we need that for checks and balances, of course. But I suppose that I took that task a little bit too seriously because I ended up being suspicious of literally everything and believing in next to nothing. And during those years in university, I also met a lot of other journalists who were often very cynical about life and the world. And there is one problem with cynicism, and that is that it is very contagious. So I ended up cynical as well. I didn't know exactly what to believe in life anymore and what to pursue. So when I graduated, I had a degree, but I had no purpose. And deep down, I hated that. Because I didn't want to spend my life telling others what not to believe. I wanted to dream. And soon enough, I found a job at that red brick office building I told you about. And it was good. I learned some fine skills, and it also paid the bills. But I still searched for a purpose. So I decided to try some things out, and in the end I ended up trying three things out in pursuit of something to pursue. First, I joined an organization for young volunteers for, to help people in need. It was an important cause, and I met some inspiring people as well. And I actually felt quite good about myself. But after a year, the fire, the fire suddenly was extinguished. What all these people did was invaluable, 
but I suppose I wanted too much out of it for myself. It didn't work, and I remained quite restless. So I tried something else. I'd always loved books, and I thought reading like a maniac would do the trick. I decided to retreat in some kind of parallel world of books, you might say. And don't get me wrong, I love to read, and I hope most of you do as well, and I still do. But it didn't exactly resolve anything, and restlessness remained. Luckily, there was a third thing that easily followed reading, because I started to write more. I took up writing short stories, believing that creating a great work of fiction would be an excellent purpose for me. Which, of course, it is. And it went well, at first. Two of my short stories got published, and a publisher encouraged me to write a novel. So I did. After more than two years of writing a first draft, it took my publisher not even two hours of reading to tell me that I had a failed story. Dump it, he told me, and start over. So after I killed him, <laughs> after some anger and denial, I just settled upon being a misunderstood artist. I believe I failed, and I gave a literature. Now, this is not all, because I've always been a bit timid when it comes to talking about the things I grapple with in life. I always thought that others would laugh at me, would not understand it, or just contradict it. In short, I just feared a lot. And yet I have always admired people who spoke with honesty about their fears, their hopes, and their dreams. And deep down I just wanted to be like that. I wanted to be honest, vulnerable, and in a way fearless. And I had thought that journalism or volunteering or writing would get me there, which they didn't. So there I was at that October morning three years ago, entering the building, a slightly cynical 28-year-old guy searching for God knows what. But after that morning, something changed. Of course, as a fresh speechwriter, I did what all of us do. I dove into the things I had to write about. Opening a new road, announcing a new policy, or praising some organization on their yearly conference. I talked to policy people, who buried me under an avalanche of facts, or nuance, or the most incomprehensible policy member. And I also tried to pick my boss's brain in a handful of minutes I was able to talk to him. And then, of course, I wrote. Then the policy people came in again, and they just butchered every meaningful sentence and every form of rhythm I carefully composed. I'm pretty sure nobody recognized it. <laughs> and so it went, until my boss approved of the speech and went on stage to deliver it. Now that on itself was unique at first, because someone went before an audience and delivered the words that I had carefully crafted. <clears throat> and while I did all that and all the other things that speechwriters do, telling others how bad the job can be and how misunderstood wordsmiths generally are, I learned three important lessons. 
first I really learned to look at people in a different way. Because I soon discovered that most audiences are really eager to listen to a speech. Instead of what I thought, people are open to new ideas, to persuasion, and to meaningful stories. And in turn, most speakers are looking to make a real connection with their audience. They want to use their speech to make something meaningful happen. And despite what I thought, most politicians are not as cynical as I was. And most people are not as wary of politicians as I was at the time. So that's the first thing I learned, and then a second thing happened. I also got to know my boss a little bit better, her habits and her hobbies, the books she read, the films she watched. And I all used that in speeches. Sometimes it didn't make sense at all. And then, of course, some policy officer would hyperventilate. <laughs> by, the way, I, by the way, I call that the collateral damage of speech writing. But when the argument was good and the story was fitting, the speeches turned out to be more successful. My boss really made a connection with the audience. And it made me realize more than I ever had before how important stories are. Although I was such a reader and even a budding fiction writer, it never really dawned on me how important they were and that we all yearn for them, for stories to give us some direction, some meaning and some purpose in our life. And with that also a third thing happened. When my boss spoke at a global conference on water issues, we wrote a speech with her consisting of just three real stories. An old lady from New York City, about a mother from Indonesia, and a young man from South Africa. And we tied those stories together with a strong goal and a clear call to action. After she gave that speech, my boss told me that she felt something happened in the room. She was a bit puzzled, but she liked it. And clearly, she wanted more of that. And as well, reactions to that speech were the best I had ever experienced. I just had not imagined that the words I helped write for others would have so much impact on other people. And it was then that I fully realized why I love to be a speechwriter. I just love to help leaders lead by improving their leadership by speech. So, while I learned that other people are just like me, that we can all look for meaningful stories because we need them, and that even my words can inspire others, speech writing slowly humanized the world as I saw it. It literally gave me an answer to the cynicism that had grown in me over time. And I now realize that my view of the world had been upside down and it was actually now back on its feet. I rediscovered the importance of dreaming and dreaming out loud. So that, in short, is how speech writing changed me, what it did to me. And yes, I still fear sometimes. But speech writing made me dare to answer that fear with more honesty, with more vulnerability, and with more hope. I now dare to say that I want to change the world one speech at a time. And if a speech I write makes one person more hopeful 
and more positive about the world instead of more cynical than I have been successful. And of course, there's usually too many deadlines and battles over language with policy people to write every speech with such high-minded feelings. But I now remember most of the time that it is my job to make something meaningful happen with a speech. A spark of commonness between people, inspiration or action. I now know that audiences look to us and to our speaker for words of meaning. So we must always take those audiences very, very seriously. And to do so, we must also find our speaker's heartbeat. Because even the most boring, passionless, technical boss speaker has dreams about the world he wants to live in. And it is our job to let those dreams come to light, no matter how difficult the search. And yes, all good speech writing is hard, very hard, and it can come scary close, even if you write for someone else. But if you let that put you off, it will be much harder to write the words that matter. So, don't be afraid. If along the way, the old craft of speech writing sets you upon an unexpected adventure in your own life, if speech writing can change me, it may happen to you as well. And by way of a warning, it may also make you watch the TV series The West Wing over and over again, <laughs> which drove my wife crazy. <laughs> so, fellow speech writers, if there is one thing that summarizes all I've learned over the past three years, then it's this. Words matter more than we can often imagine. If we do our work with great care, then human speech can truly be at its most powerful. We shape ideas of others, or our own ideas, into words and stories, creating new worlds in the hearts and minds of so many people. It's not easy, of course, because our world is quite easily deafened by cheap opinions, quick anger, and yes, fear. And our daily work is one of too many deadlines, bad public speakers, and unfortunately, powerful. But when you see a speaker meet an audience just where they are, then that can be, as the American writer Annie Lamont once said, the sensation of unmerited grace. And it is a sensation that we can make happen. If the words we write for others and we speak ourselves offer sincerity, honesty, and vulnerability. And if our words, as the Dutch poet Henriette Roland Holst wrote, just over there on that wall, beside the mural her husband painted, if our words bear the hope in our hearts that makes the dark world light.